0: Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great as we near the end of 2021. What a year it has been. I think I can say with some confidence that most of us are hoping that 2022 is significantly better than 2021. So we will see how that plays out. The title of this podcast is The Coming Post-Roe Future in America, and of course, this relates to the Dobbs, Mississippi case that was just argued before the Supreme Court about the 15 week abortion ban that has um, been instituted and passed in Mississippi. And from the arguments being put forth by the six right wing nut jobs on the court, it's clear that either the Roe decision is going to be gutted or completely overturned um, and abortion rights will no longer be guaranteed in the United States. So this is a pretty big deal. I obviously don't have a crystal ball, but it's worth assessing how we got here and the incredibly large ramifications both with respect to women's health, but also um, politically are going to be in the U.S., And these ramifications will probably reverberate for decades. So someone like me who's in their 50s, you know, if this case goes as expected, you know, the rest of my adult life, we might be dealing with the ramifications. So it's quite a big deal that I want to explore in this episode. But before we get to all that, I want to state a few things up front about abortion and abortion rights. Again, this is coming from a male perspective but I think based on facts and science that that anyone can speak on, regardless of whether they can get pregnant or not. Because this is a reality-based podcast in which we deal with facts and truth, it's important to put some things into context. The first is abortion law in the U.S. is relatively permissive by global standards. In most developed countries where abortion is legal, And there are a couple now where it is not, like uh, uh, Poland has outlawed abortion. But the overwhelming majority of Western democracies, abortion is legal. Women have largely unfettered access for the first trimester. That's the first 12 weeks. And then there's pretty strong restrictions on abortion access, except for protecting the life of the mother after that first trimester. In the U.S., women have largely unrestricted access because of the Roe versus Wade decision through the second trimester, which is up to 24 weeks. And then at that point, there is a pretty legitimate state interest in protecting the life of the baby because it can feel pain and is conscious and potentially viable to live outside of the mother. Now... What I'm saying right now might strike some on the pro-choice side as playing into the hands of the forced birther movement. But I want to be clear here. We have to deal with truth and facts, right? One can support a woman's bodily autonomy and rights over her reproductive decisions, which I do strongly, while also acknowledging that there is some point between conception and birth where the woman is carrying a conscious sentient being that the state has some legitimate right in protecting. So let me be clear about that. There is some point in between conception and birth at generally nine months, at which the state can exercise some right over protecting a living human being, right? This is why abortion is such a tricky issue morally and politically, especially for people who are acting in good faith and acknowledge these basic simple truths, right? Pregnancy is not a binary. There is a continuum. And the key issue in abortion rights is where is the, that line, right, between when it is clearly a non-sentient being and therefore the state doesn't have a strong interest in protecting it, and when is it a sentient being that maybe has some rights of its own, especially if the mother's life and is not in, in jeopardy. And that line is gonna change based on technology and based on scientific advances. So it's not even a set line. But we can be pretty much 100% sure that in that first 12 weeks, it is pre-sentient, pre-pain, pre-consciousness. And that's why, again, that first trimester abortion rights are quite um, liberal in most countries. And in most countries that have, again, these, this, these uh, this 12-week access, they make it easy and safe for women to get ab- abortions, and also they, um, they fund them. These are considered health care, and it is covered by the government, right? So it's not an issue of access, and this makes a lot of sense, right? We want abortion to be safe, legal, and easily accessible to all women, right? But after that first trimester, there are some restrictions that start applying because, um, you know, that being is starting to get close to the point where it is a conscious being with feelings and and, and the ability to feel pain. Right. And it's starting to resemble a fully formed human being. Now, so with that starting point, I want to point out that the Mississippi ban at 15 weeks is not extreme by world standards. Even though Mississippi is asking the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade, and so this was basically a Trojan horse, the actual 15-week ban is not extreme by world standards. It is a big change from the 24 weeks in the U.S. and U.S. precedent, but not uh, relative to globally. Now, in America, most women have abortions in the first trimester. It is about 80% in that first 20 weeks. I mean, it's 12 weeks. But that 20% that is after the first trimester is relatively high by world standards, right? And the key here is, is that it is possible to construct a system where women have strong abortion rights. And it is actually even covered and paid for by the state. And yet virtually all abortions take place in that first trimester. Again, the U.S. is different and is is an outlier in that it has more abortions occurring after the first trimester than other advanced countries by and large. Now, because in the U.S. we have this odious Hyde Amendment, this prevents federal funds, federal dollars from financing abortion services through, for example, Medicaid, which is where how poor women get access to medical services throughout much of the United States. This puts a huge burden on poor women, while leaving wealthy women, many of them white, without a problem of access because they have the money to travel and the money to pay for abortion services. So as everything else in America, there are strong class and race aspects of the abortion rights issue, with poor minority women bearing the burden of an unjust caste system that favors the wealthy and the white. After the break, I want to talk about what the Constitution does or does not have to say about abortion rights. A lot of conservative legal scholars have made the case for decades that the Roe v. Wade decision was a bad legal decision because the right to privacy and an abortion isn't in the Constitution. They are correct. Now, by this time in the podcast, you might be wondering if I'm trying to be here very sympathetic to the right-wing view here in both acknowledging the state's interest in restricting abortion access at some point in a pregnancy, and also now agreeing with right-wingers that the Constitution doesn't provide abortion rights. But I am not. And so I want you to hear me out. Because again, in a fact-based, truth-based argumentation, we need to first acknowledge the truth and then show why it is incomplete. So those of us on the left, And in progressive circles, we don't need to lie and deceive to make our arguments. This is why I'm acknowledging the truth on the right wing before going into why it is incomplete and ultimately unpersuasive. And remember, the right wing, they lie about everything. They lie about everything because they do not have facts and reason on their side. And they are weak. They're in a weak position. If they deal with reality and truth, they will lose. And we will see in a moment how this is true with respect to abortion rights. That being said, not everything they claim is without merit, and their arguments are not made decisive by acknowledging some of the truth in the claims that I have just done. But here is the truth. The Constitution is a short, ambiguous, flimsy document written by white supremacist patriarchs that doesn't touch on many key issues of modern American life, and right-wingers are more than happy to make up shit completely out of thin air all the time that suits their interests. Case in point, the Citizens United ruling where Roberts and the Roberts court said money equals free speech. They literally pulled this out of their asses. There is nothing to suggest that the founding fathers intended the First Amendment to include money and political influence. But right-wingers were happy to make this up because it helps right-wing causes. So boom, the First Amendment says you have the freedom of speech, money is speech, so that you can't impinge anyone's right to spend unlimited amounts of money on political speech. Right? Again, notice the logic there. They just made that up out of thin air. There's no nothing originalist about that at all. They said that the constitution permits radical partisan gerrymandering, the most extreme forms of gerrymandering. But again, this is just completely made up because there is no evidence the founders thought literally, you know, constructing congressional districts to pick your own voters was consistent with democracy. Now remember, the founders were not truly democratic. They were white supremacists. They didn't believe black people had the right to vote. Women had the right to vote. It was property owners, or all kinds of undemocratic things, in you know, that that they believed at the time the Constitution was written. But there's no evidence that they thought we should just be able to pick our own voters. That's absurd. But the right wing just pulled that one out of thin air too. With respect to the Second Amendment, you know, the right wingers' favorite amendment. They have perverted that amendment so much, which was about arms being, you know, citizens being able to bear arms as part of a militia. Nothing about, you know, assault weapons and, and, you know, concealed uh, handguns. They have perverted it so much that now we have 17-year-old kids prowling the streets with military assault weapons playing vigilantes. And there is just no way the founding fathers envisioned such madness when they wrote the Second Amendment. So again, just pulled out of their asses, all these contortions to just let this society be awash in incredibly dangerous weapons and munitions um, with very limited um, restrictions. This is absolutely not what the uh, Second Amendment was about. Perhaps even more egregious, over the last few decades, the right wing have has made up, all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Rehnquist Court a couple decades ago, this issue of qualified immunity for cops—this is one of the most insanely unjust interpretations of law ever concocted. And if you if you don't know a lot about it, I, I recommend just look it up into what qualified immunity at the federal level means, and that you know, and that and it's trickled down to the states as well. It allows cops to get away with egregious criminal conduct as long as what they did was so novel that it hasn't been tried before. So if the cop does some crazy You know, absolutely criminal behavior. They can say, hey, there's no precedent that a cop's ever been, you know, tried on that. So qualified immunity. It is literally an incentive for cops to do ever more deviously craven acts because then the chances of precedent are diminished. Right? The more craven and crazy it is, the chance that there's a a case law, you know, on the books that they can be held accountable to is diminished. It is such a contortion of logic and justice. You would think. It was made up in some, you know, um, Kurt Vonnegut novel or something. My point here is, is that the Constitution is morphed for political purposes continually. And just because the Constitution didn't, le- didn't explicitly allow for abortion doesn't mean very much. Right. So, again, the right wing is correct about that. But so what? There's tons of stuff that's not in the Constitution that they have just made up out of thin air. And so if we, if we are literally beholden to the whims of, and mores of 18th century white slaveholders in the 21st century, then we are truly doomed. And this is exactly what the right wing wants. They want a backwards-looking white supremacist patriarchy. And abortion restrictions help them achieve that. My last point here is that while the Constitution doesn't provide a right to abortion— a reasonable case can be made that liberty and equality for women demands it, which is exactly what the lawyers in the Dobbs case did, and which the prior precedent the Supreme Court has had for almost 50 years makes clear—that you know the right to privacy for a woman and not be forced to bear a child is, is is key to her liberty, and that that is protected by the Constitution. Now, this is probably likely to lose but not because this reasoning is any worse than anything else that has been done in the last centuries of American jurisprudence. It's simply because the right-wing justices have the numbers. They have six votes. The left-wing has three. This is about raw political power, period. It has nothing to do with the law or the Constitution, and it never has. That is simply a fiction we tell ourselves, this nonsense about we're all neutral and balls and strikes. It is utter and complete bullshit. Go read the Constitution. It is such a flimsy document. There's just a million things left up to interpretation, and it's just political power. If you get the numbers, you get to put your stamp on it and make up what you want. And the right wing, through a combination of patience, strategy, and luck, sadly, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying when she did, you know, weeks before the, the next election, gave them that key vote, right, where they now have, you know, literally a, a, an anti-abortion religious extremist took the place of Ruth Bader Ginsburg because Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away at the end of Trump's term. And now they have their numbers to impose their will on the body politic. So after the break, I will talk about the likely ramifications of that exercise of their power when they gut and or end Roe uh, next summer. So the right-wing justices have two options with the Dobbs case. One is to accept the 15-week ban, but say that Roe's basic structure still stands, that abortion is still constitutionally protected in the U.S., but that the viability threshold can be reduced. Now, this would be a huge deal, right? It would be reducing a threshold of 24 weeks to 15, and there's nothing that would suggest that a lot of these right-wing states wouldn't try to push it even further. And, you know, push the 14, 13, 12, whatever. So it would definitely be a huge, huge hit to Roe. And it would likely mean that abortion rights would continually be whittled away. But I do want to point out that it would put America in line with much of the modern advanced world by still allowing abortions in the first trimester. Again, because that 15 week is still greater than the 12 week threshold um, for most of the, the developed world. The more likely scenario, however, is that they're going to simply throw Roe out, throw out almost 50 years of precedent and say that, you know, it was a mistake to put um, abortion rights in the Constitution. We're correcting this and it's back to the states. And because, again, remember, if Roe is overturned, this makes it a state by state issue, at least for for a moment. And we'll, we'll get to the federal issue in a second. In this case, 22 states would automatically outlaw abortion rights right away. Most of those are southern states, but also key swing electoral states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Ohio. So this is a big deal. Nearly half the women in the country would not have access to abortion in their states at all. And we would have another dimension of medical apartheid as wealthier women would be able to travel across state lines and poorer women would not. There is also the likelihood that abortion pills would proliferate as women in those states would seek a way to have an abortion secretly by ordering these abortion pills. But forced birthers and forced birther states would, of course, try to outlaw these as well as Texas had. These state legislatures would be dominated by issues of abortion restrictions, including exceptions for rape and incest, health of the mother, etc., and these would be dec- decided mostly by white right-wing men who dominate these legislatures. And just think about it, right? If you're gonna ban a pill, an abortion pill, how are you gonna know if a woman used that? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna check her mail? Are you gonna check her medical records? What are you gonna do if that you find out, right? Because it becomes this all these issues of criminal prosecution of women, doctors, pharmacies, right, care providers. If you, if you give advice, if you tell someone something, are you liable? So the kind of legal ramifications of this are just insane and very coercive, right? Again, small government, bullshit. This is big, coercive, statist intervention. Of course, this will mean there will be incredible levels of insanity in the discourse because abortion will also then be debated at the federal level. Because if it's no longer a constitutional right, the forced birthers will say, we need Congress to make abortion illegal everywhere and that would be up for grabs. So by appealing the Roe um, case, the court would be literally smacking a hornet's nest. And if they think that they will have settled the issue by just letting it go back to the states and let them deal with it there, they couldn't be more wrong, as it will become even more contentious. It will be debated at all levels of state and get federal government for decades to come. And as we know, The religious extremists who have been fighting for this for decades will be emboldened, and they are some of the worst of the right wing. These are people who think The Handmaid's Tale is an instruction manual. And they now have a friend in Amy Coney Barrett on the coin who literally made the point in her arguments that since women in all 50 states can give their unwanted kids up for adoption, no questions asked, forced births are no longer a big deal. Think about that a supreme court justice who believes that the state forcing a woman to have an unwanted child is okay since she can simply give it away. I no mean, oh, wow. I mean just think about that. She's also compared abortion to getting a vaccine. She said, "Oh yeah, it you know, forcing a woman to have pregnancy is a is you know, an assault on bodily autom- autonomy but just like a vaccine. So forcing a woman to go through a 9-month pregnancy and give birth is the same as getting a shot." for a deadly disease, right? She is a true religious extremist nut job. And she is 49 years old with a lifetime appointment. So there you have it, right? Elections have consequences. So once Roe is overturned, the worst of these religious extremists will be pushing for more extremist restrictions at every level of government all the time, right? They will be emboldened Right? This is a fallacy that people keep making about the right wing. If we just appease them, we just give them a little, you know then they'll be okay and we can get back to normal centrism. No doesn't work like that. You embolden the worst elements in society. They want more and more and more. and they do want they will want to make abortion illegal for everyone in all cases. It's important at this point just to, to note here, that women are going to suffer here, right? It's not that abortion rates will even necessarily fall. People will just do more extreme things, and women in nearly half the country will literally be treated like handmaids, right? This is an appalling, likely outcome that we will be dealing with probably in um, you know, in the summer of 2022. I just want to provide a little context here also that it's important for people to realize that abortion as a major issue in the U.S. is very modern, right? Abortion was completely uh, uh, accessible and normal, you know, in the 1800s up until the mid 1800s, and, and it was the, this notion that at the minute of conception it was a fully formed human being with full rights. That it's a complete modern fiction, modern invention that the right wing created to get you know fervor, this fervor of religious extremism. Or their political causes right the Catholic Church was okay with abortion for most of its history right so all this fixation on this little clump of cells that you wouldn't even notice if you saw it you know you know on a on a on a, on a plate somewhere it's completely unremarkable it has not, no you know relation to a human being that's a modern invention right now what we know here is is that the right wing has wanted this for decades and they are likely going to get it because of raw power. And before getting to the politics, which is highly uncertain, I just want to point out the utter and sheer hypocrisy of the religious right. right? These are people who oppose universal health care, paid family leave, universal child care, but want to force women to have children. And in many cases, they oppose birth control as well. So at least if they strongly supported social welfare policies for mothers and families, I could take them seriously. I would disagree with them, but there would be at least some consistency that I could respect. But they are the opposite. They are evil hypocrites, and they are likely to play an outsized role in our policy in the coming decades, if and when Roe is overturned. So now on to the politics. First off, I know this discussion might irk some people because this involves women's rights and women's health and autonomy, and there's something crass about discussing the political ramifications. But they are likely to be large, and so I think it's just worth taking a few moments. My initial assumption, that this will end up hurting Republicans because it will empower the worst elements of the right that most people despise, and also because loss aversion is a powerful force. Once women lose their rights, they are going to be angry and motivated, right? Most young women, not most, all young women in the United States have grown up where abortion rights are, you know, the law of the land. And so that's going to be a big change when you're in, you know, Florida, Ohio, Texas, and you go, wait up, if my birth control fails, and I'm 17 years old, the state is going to force me to have a baby? Like, that's, that's how they're going to treat me through, you know, no fault of my own? Right, so it's a big deal. Now, a big tell for why this is gonna hurt Republicans is that after the Supreme Court let the Texas bounty hunter abortion law remain in place. And remember, that's the law in Texas now where a woman cannot have an abortion after six weeks, right? Which has invalidated Roe now. The constitutional right to an abortion has already been removed in the state of Texas, and the Supreme Court says that's okay. And they've said it's okay that we have bounty hunters. Um, who can go and, you know, and rat out women and doctors, right? But after that decision was made, right-wingers were bending themselves into pretzels to say that Roe hadn't been overturned, even though it had. So if they're scared of what overturning Roe means and they want to avoid saying it, they likely don't think it's going to be too favorable to the right-wing cause. And I think they're right. And since this ruling will be in June or July of 2022... It will be right a few months before the midterm elections. And there are a lot of key races and key states in the midterms. So look, I think there is enough uncertainty that I don't know that this will be unambiguously positive for Democrats and negative for Republicans, but I think it will be. There is nothing like losing fundamental rights to make people mad. And women are a growing and powerful political force. When they see these right-wing handmaids coming after them, they are likely to exercise their political power. But we will see. And, uh, you know, we will just have to take note and do what we can to support women and women's rights if and when these decisions break badly, as I fear they will. So the antidote after the break. Okay, so look, we're in a dark time in America. That's no surprise to anyone who hasn't been living in a cave these past 20 years, and especially these last five. And the only way to fix things is to elect more and better Democrats. If we had more than 50 senators right now, we could get rid of the filibuster and add more justices to the Supreme Court. So look, don't give up. Stacey Abrams just um, announced that she's running for governor in Georgia. And that could be a game changer for making that state fair and more just. I highly recommend supporting her. I just sent her campaign a contribution right away. Beto O'Rourke is running in Texas, and that could be huge too, right? If we had a Democratic governor running in Texas, we wouldn't get those abortion rights restrictions, and we could do something about voting rights. So support Beto. And look, we're going to have some great Senate candidates in Ohio and Pennsylvania so that we could expand our majority in the Senate and then at the next opportunity, get rid of the filibuster and do some progressive reforms for voting rights and women's rights in the Senate. So look, we have to think long-term. That's what the right did. They did it for evil and for the plutocracy and to take away people's rights, but they were patient and they had a long-term game plan and it's bearing fruit and we have to be patient and we have to work hard continually. That is our only hope. So with that, everybody, I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Stay safe. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues. Rate it. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, again, be safe. Take care. Be well.